0: Why are bad things happening when God could stop What are you preparing me for? Every faith is 100% positive. They are the religion that is right. All why are bad things what happening when God could stop them? Why am I why sick? Does why would to love God a loving God a allow death to God? Why do bad why things happen? Why does everyone care? Why do you see your hate at all? Why? 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 Good morning, and welcome to Christ Church of Oakbrook. As you saw, we are in the midst of a series right now where we are answering the tough questions of faith. We each come here uh, with different understandings of who God is, and different places in our faith walk. But it's important for all of us to ask questions, and and it's important to realize that all of us have doubts and insecurities. And so we're hoping that over the course of this series, we can begin to answer those questions for you and give you a foundation to build upon and to continue reaching for more. Would you guys pray with me for a moment before we get going? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to come into this place and to ask questions. Lord, we thank you that we do not need to be afraid to seek the truth, Lord, we don't need to be afraid to find out uh, that in seeking truth, none of it's really real, but instead we find that the more questions we ask, the more you reveal yourself to us. Lord, we pray that you would be in this place today, And, and Lord, that we would hear your word, and Lord, that you would calm our doubt. We pray this in your name. Amen. I feel like this series is a little bit unfair for us as a teaching team here. You see, we, we get up here on stage and the, the five of us are trying to answer the biggest questions that the world has ever known. Questions that we have been asking since the beginning of time. Who is God? Why do bad things happen? And the reality is, is that just like you, we don't have all the answers. And so we're going to take our best shot at it, but, but take it with a grain of salt. And if it doesn't satisfy you, don't stop here, continue looking. I, in particular, feel a little bit slighted because our topic for today is why do we exist? (laughs) Essentially, our producer is telling me that I have the next 30 minutes to tell you the purpose of life. Some of you are like, I have 15 minutes, I'm out of here, so you better (laughs) tighten that up. But primarily, I'm a youth pastor here, and so I find the easiest way to answer really tough questions are games, all right? Does anyone in here want to play a game with me today? I'm not going to bring you on stage, don't worry, and I hope that all of you will play this game. All right, so we're going to play a game, and it's a game called Who Said It? I'm going to read a few different statements, and I want you guys as an audience to determine did an atheist theorist say this, or did a biblical author say this? Okay, so essentially, is this the voice of someone that doesn't believe is God or the voice of God? Okay, so after we read each statement, I want you to yell out with with everyone else around you, either atheist or Bible. Can we do that? We feel like we can do that? All right, good. Um, And the more participation, the better. Last night, 5 o'clock, did pretty good at this, so so we'll see how you guys compare uh, in your biblical literacy here. So, we're going to start with an easy one. It says, when I was in deep trouble, I searched for God. All night long I prayed, but my soul was not comforted. Atheist or Bible? What do we think? Bible. Bible. Very good. All right. That's from Psalm 77 two. Here's another one. Uh, that's easy. Without the aid of eternal value, it is necessary to wonder if life has meaning atheist or bible. All right, atheist. That is Albert Camus there. We're going to get a little bit harder. <clears throat> Humans have no advantage over animals. Everything is meaningless. That is the Bible. Ecclesiastes 3:19. All right, to live is to suffer, but to survive is finding meaning in the suffering. All right, we're a little mixed there. That is Friedrich Nietzsche, atheist theorist there. As we ask this question, what is the meaning of life? This is the meaning of life. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground. Bible, Bible, nice. That one really got people last night, so you're doing well there. Um, The goal of all life is Death. All right, we're a little bit torn on that one, that is Freud, so atheist there. And finally, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new. Yes, Ecclesiastes, very nice. Um, so as we as we dive in today, we're asking ourselves the question, what is the meaning of life? And maybe we're a little bit startled that, that some of these atheist theorists and, and these biblical authors uh, are coming to a very similar conclusion. And to be honest, as I've studied scripture this week, as, I, as I've uh, jumped into this topic, I've come to a similar conclusion that you have no purpose, that I have no purpose, and that life is meaningless. On that disappointing news, uh, have a good weekend. No, I'm not going to leave you there. <clears throat> Some of you were like, sweet, he beat us 15 minutes. Um, what we're trying to say is that life in and of itself is meaningless. But the good news is that God has purpose. And his purpose is of the utmost significance. And God, in his love for us, has invited us to be a part of that purpose. He has invited us to become engrafted into his purpose so that we find meaning in life, not in life itself, but instead in life with God. Now we might be standing here kind of rolling our eyes and saying, aren't we just arguing semantics? Surely when I say, what is my purpose? What is my calling? I'm, I'm trying to say, what does God have for me? What is God leading me to in my life? But if I wanna give you a moment of honesty here, when I ask those questions, when I ponder what my purpose is, what my significance is, more often than not, I'm starting with a foundation of me and not in a foundation of God. I'm asking, why was I created? God, what do you have for me? God, what do you want me to do? God, what is my purpose? You see, at the base of everything in this question for me, is myself. And that's a big difference than starting with God. In fact, more often than not, and I wonder if you can resonate with me here, more often than not, when I'm really asking this question, I'm saying, God, can you give me the destination of this journey so that I can get there on my own? God, can you tell me where I am going so that I can completely remove you from this equation so that I don't have to go through this painstaking prayer and and this this reflection and, and quietness that I don't have to take it one day at a time. Instead, I can go through which doors appear to be the best doors to go through. I can find the convenient and comfortable path to your end goal. God, when I ask you where I'm trying to get to, what I'm saying is I don't trust you to get me there. And instead, I want to do it myself. So the very fact that I'm asking this question is pointing to the fact that I'm not really asking what God's purpose is, but instead I'm trying to find out what is my individual meaning and significance. I want you to think about it this way. I want you to think about it as a dual variable algebraic equation. And for those of you on this side of the room, don't worry, we're going to have it on video here. And and you can see. So essentially, right here, um, we have an equation that's up here on the board. It says 2y plus 4x is equal to 12 when y plus x is equal to 6. Okay, so, so basically when you see a dual variable equation in algebra, what we're trying to understand is, is how do we answer this equation without knowing what the values of these variables are. And the easiest way to do that is to isolate one specific value And to focus in on what it is defined as, okay? So the only way to solve this dual variable equation is to understand what one individual value is. And once we've understood what one individual value is, the other values will start to fall in place. So as we look at this equation, the easiest way to do it is subtract the bottom equation from the top. But in order to subtract the bottom equation from the top, we need to match one of the variables, okay? So we wanna match that y variable. So we multiply this entire equation by two. So we have two y plus two x is equal to six times two. What we get here is we have zero because the y's cancel out. We subtract two from four. Now we have plus two x is equal to six times two, or 12 minus six times two, which is zero. Now we understand that X must be zero. Because anything multiplied by X is equal to zero. So suddenly we understand that our value of X is equal to zero. Then we can start plugging it in again. So we look at 2Y plus four times zero is equal to 12. So 2Y plus zero is equal to 12. We can divide that and then we get Y is equal to six. Okay, so essentially, I want you to think about it this way here. We're going to flip it over and have a nice clean equation. As we look at this, I want us to imagine that our life, our purpose, our meaning is this equation, and it's the equation that we're all trying to understand. It's the equation that we're all trying to solve, but it's really important because we cannot solve this equation without this bottom equation, and I want you to imagine that Y is God's purpose, and X is God. You see, we cannot find out God's purpose without understanding God, and we cannot understand our purpose without understanding God's purpose. So first and foremost, if we are to understand our meaning, our significance in this world, we need to start by solving who God is. You see, it's interesting that these atheist theorists and these biblical authors find themselves coming to the same conclusions uh, about life. And it's because I think that in this very moment that these authors are writing these passages, they find themselves completely distant from God. We look at that psalmist who's writing um, in Psalm 77. Well, if you look at the cultural context of that, Israel has just gone to God and they've said, God, we no longer want prophets. Instead, we want kings. We've looked around and seen these other nations and they are not led by gods, they're led by men. And so God, would you give us a king? And then the psalmist finds himself lamenting this decision because he has never felt so far from God. And in feeling so far from God, his life has lost its meaning. In Ecclesiastes, we hear over and over again, something like 30 times that the author Solomon says that life is meaningless, Life is meaningless. And he's teaching an Israelite people that are focused on other nations around them and looking at what they have and saying, Solomon, if only we had this, then we would be significant in this world. And it's interesting because the word used for that we translate into meaninglessness is a Hebrew word, hevel. And hevel directly translated is vapor. Vapor. And so what Solomon is saying is all of these things in the world, all of these things in our life are like vapor. They have the appearance of something physical, but when you reach and you get them, there is nothing at all. I feel like I can relate with that in my personal life. These goals, these outcomes that I've sought after and I finally reach that place and I reach for it and I find that it's brought me no fulfillment at all. I've set these metrics to which I will measure the value of my life and upon achieving each one of those metrics, I find that that it's really brought me no comfort and no solace. You see, in that Genesis passage, Genesis 3.19, what has just happened is Adam and Eve who were created to live in relationship with God, understanding completely who God is in his physical presence, have turned from God and said, God, we'd rather do it on our own and God says the consequence of that decision is that now all of your life is just about working so you can eat so that you can die. It's a bleak outlook. And it is no wonder that atheist theorists after atheist theorists have come to the exact same conclusion. That life is meaningless. Why? Because they are seeking to understand life's significance without God. And without God, life is indeed Meaningless. Now, many of us are are probably like me, and we try to solve this equation a little bit differently. And I have to reassure you that I am in no means a math major. I struggled my way through high school math and decided that instead of becoming a mathematician, I'd become a youth pastor. And so, if you were a little bit lost in that previous occasion, don't worry, I would have been too, but I studied uh, how to do dual variable equations on YouTube all week (laughs) and finally figured it out. (laughs) Because this is how I would have solved this equation if you had asked me seven days ago. I would have said, okay, six. Y plus X equals six. Three plus three equals six. What if y is 3 and x is 3? And then I plug it in here, and then it wouldn't come to the right thing. And I'd be like, ah, that didn't work. Okay, 4 plus 2 is 6. Great. All right, so now we're going to try it, and we go 4 plus 2, and we solve it. And, and I do something called guess and check. How many of us have ever found ourselves in high school doing guess and check on our algebra? Yeah, hopefully it was a harder equation than this, but we have all done that before. And I think that the reality is, is that resonates with how often we seek our calling and our purpose in life. We come to God and we don't ask God, God, how can I know you better today? We say, God, I've got these different outcomes in front of me. I've got these different doors that are seemingly open before me. Which one should I go through? And we wait for about 30 seconds and we don't hear from God. And we're like, all right, cool. I'm going to go through this one. Did it work out? Oh, no, that one didn't work. What if I go out through this door? What if I choose this career path? What if I buy this home? What if I do this missions trip? Will that suddenly complete my purpose and bring me significance? Well, sometimes we'll guess correctly. Sometimes we'll guess that Y is six and X is zero. Inevitably, we will come to that conclusion. And we will find ourselves where God has wanted us to be, where he has led us. But then the next time that we have to ask that question, we have no framework to understand how to answer it again. And so again, our life will go through this time of meaningless. We'll go through this time of insignificance. You see, we need to break out of this guess and check method and we need to start with God because when we understand God's God's character, His purpose will be revealed. And when we understand God's purpose, suddenly our life will make sense. Let's look how uh, the Israelites did this. The Israelites solved this equation. I want to look in the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 5, and the Israelites right now have just been led out of Egypt. They were in captivity. God very miraculously stepped in front of them, brought them out. They had seen the presence of God. They had seen God in action. And, and, and right when they leave Israel, there's rejoicing and celebration. Uh, But now they find themselves wandering in the desert looking for God. And Moses has just gone up on the mount and and received the Ten Commandments from God. And when he comes down from the mountain, it says that his complexion has changed because of the presence of God. Because he has stood before God now, he is kind of resonating this presence to everyone that's around him. And, And he reads his Israelite people God's Ten Commandments. And this is the Israelites' response, which is pretty cool. It says, "It says, uh, but now why should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? talking to Moses. They say, go near and listen to all the Lord our God says. Then tell us whatever the Lord our God tells you. We will listen and obey. The Israelites receive uh, just a teeny morsel of God's presence and they become so hungry for more that they beg uh, Moses to go back on the mountain and to stand in God's presence again so that they, by proxy, might receive more of God's presence as well. They say, we want more than these commandments. We want to understand why we're here. What is our meaning? What is our value? What is our significance? Because we remember in the Old Testament that the Israelite people are completely cut off from the presence of God. That when Adam and Eve sinned, it brought separation between them and God, a separation that could only be fixed through God's atonement on the cross. And so the Israelite people experienced God's presence once a year when the highest of high priests goes into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and receives God's word as he offers atonement, and then he comes out and shares it with the people. That is their only experience of God, and they are desperate for more. And so, when Moses experiences this, they beg him to go back so that they might begin to solve this piece of the equation Who is God? This is what God says to them in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So Moses goes back and he dwells in the presence of God and he brings this message to his people. If you want to find value, if you want to find significance, then love God with all that you are. Love God wherever you are. Don't simply love God when you gather together in this place of worship. Don't simply love God when you're surrounded by other people that love God. No, instead, love God when you close the door on your home and no one else can hear you. Love God when you are traveling alone on the road or sitting in your car in traffic. Love God when you're out with your friends, when you're with your family. Love God in all places and strive to know God more and more each day. Then and only then will you begin to understand his purpose. You see, the same commandment shifts a little bit. Uh, When Jesus enters into the world, as he enters into this story of redemption, the same commandment is, is slightly altered. You see, in Mark 12, verses 30 through 31, a religious scholar has come before God, and he's asked the same question that the Israelites have. He's asked, basically, what is the meaning of life? What do I need to do to secure eternity? And Jesus turns to him, and he says this, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Very similar. He's sitting there, he's probably nodding along and saying, yeah, I understand that. That's what, that's what I seek to do. And then Jesus says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no commandment greater than these. What's changed? You see, before, the Israelite people were just called to love God. They were called to use everything that they had to love God. Well, well, I think it's because the Israelite people were not given the blessing of experiencing God's presence there among them. And so the most that God could ask them to do was just to stay focused on him, to love him. But as Jesus enters in the world, God is stepping down on earth and he is atoning for the brokenness that sin has brought to give each and every one of us the opportunity to experience God's presence, not when we come into this place, not when we go up onto the mountaintop, not when we offer a sacrifice, but instead in dwelling in us. So that's God's presence and his love for us is evident in all that we are doing. And because of that, we are now enabled to actually experience God's purpose. And God's purpose in this world, the reason that he sent his son, was to redeem the love that he had created at the very beginning. To redeem his creation so that one day they might be in perfect unity in eternity. And he's called each and every one of us to take part in that purpose. So now that we have God's presence in our lives and we can understand God, if we continue to love him, we find in a very real way that his purpose is to love others and to redeem his creation. And now we can start plugging that in to our lives to understand how those variables impact our day to day life. How many of us have seen a romantic comedy before? Let's be vulnerable. We, we can probably all raise our hand at this point. And, and how many have felt a little bit of anxiety or stress in the midst of that romantic comedy when you're sure that these two people are meant to end up with each other, but they just keep missing each other? It's a fairly common refrain. Just a few months ago, I saw one of these movies, and it was based on a true story. It was called *The Big Sick*, and I'm gonna try my best not to spoil it for anyone. But if you've been waiting around thinking for the last nine months, man, I gotta, I gotta go see that movie. Then plug your ears for a moment. Um, so it's a true story about this gentleman, Kamal, and, and and Emily, and. And Camille is a stand-up comedian and he meets Emily at one of his shows. And they're talking and we see this really fun relationship kind of bud out of nothing. And for the next 25 minutes of the movie, they focus in on just this fun loving, light hearted, uh, really enjoyable relationship. And as a viewer, we're sitting there and we're like filled with butterflies and happiness, and we're looking across at our significant other and smiling, and all these great things are happening. Uh, and we're thinking to ourselves, Finally, there's a movie in which everything goes right, and just for two hours, we get to watch this great relationship and smile about it. Not the case. All right, so after 30 minutes, what happens is Camille and Emily get into a fight, and Emily dumps Camille. And as an audience, we all go, Oh, and we feel so sad. And then it gets worse than that, because a couple days after Emily dumps Camale, she gets really, 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 really sick. So sick that she falls into a coma. And she's laying in a coma, and there's no one to be with her, and we see Camale walk into the hospital. And Camale has found out through her roommate or her friend that, that she's fallen sick, and he goes and he sits by her bedside. He brings her flowers and balloons and then this like giant stuffed animal giraffe, and he drops it off at her bedside, but he doesn't leave it at that. Instead, he stays with her. For the entire time that she's in a coma, he sits there and he loves her, and he talks to her even though she can't respond. He tells her he practices his jokes for his shows even though she can't laugh at him. He spends time with her parents and and helps make decisions uh, for her medical future. And as we watch this, this selfless love of this person that is unresponsive, we think to ourselves, if only Emily would wake up from a coma, she would experience this love and they would live happily ever after. And so as an audience, we're feeling hopeful. We think we've figured out the ending. We know what's going to happen, and we start to anticipate it, and we're yearning for that experience of love between these two characters. Well, sure enough, Emily eventually opens her eyes, and there by her bedside, leaning over her, is Camille. And she opens her eyes, and she looks up into his loving eyes, and she says, get out. She yells at him to leave and she pushes him away. And as an audience, there's just this sinking feeling of devastation as we come to the realization that we have been witness to Camille's love for Emily this entire time, but she has not even experienced a little bit of it. And the last memory that she has of their relationship is him walking out her door. You see, this is is a picture of God's love for us. When Adam and Eve sinned, we walked out that door. And then we fell into this spiritual coma. But in the midst of all of that, God still loved us. Even though we couldn't respond, even though we couldn't reciprocate, even though we couldn't even experience it, God loved us. In hopes that one day, we would wake up and we would experience that love in a real way. And now some of us in this room have. We've woken up from that spiritual coma. We've experienced God's love and we've turned to him. And instead of telling him to get out, we've embraced it. And we've offered the best that we can, our love back. And that's a picture of of that redemption of creation in a very small individual way. And so now God says in the same way that you yearn for two people in a romantic comedy to love each other, I want you to yearn that others that don't experience my love, that can't reciprocate my love would come to wake up and experience it in its fullness. First John 4 says it this way, 7 through 12. It says, Dear friends, Let us love one another for love comes from God. At the very foundation, God created us to be in a relationship of love with him. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. If we can reciprocate that love to God, it is the sign, the evidence that we have woken up and experienced God's love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And his love is made complete in us. It's really easy to just skip over this passage and not understand the depth of those words. But what the author is saying is just like Moses on Mount Sinai experienced God's love and experienced God in a real way and came down from the mountaintops and the Israelites experienced God's presence by proxy, we too carry that same power that same love, we too have stood before God and experienced his presence. And when we go out in communities that have not seen God's love and that have not experienced his redemption, then by proxy, they should see God through us. If we believe that God is indwelling in us, then it is our call to then carry that indwelling to others so that they might wake up and experience God's love for the first time and have an opportunity to reciprocate that love. You see, we're asking the wrong question when we say, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? We're we're trying to figure out the destination when what God is telling us is today, love me. Today, love me, and as you love me, ask yourselves who it is in my life, who it is that surrounds me that needs to experience this love. Who is God calling me to awaken to his presence? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that we are in this place. We thank you for an opportunity to experience your presence Lord, right now we believe that, that your voice is speaking through your scripture. Lord, we believe that because of your sacrifice on the cross that we experience the indwelling of your spirit. And Lord, as we in, experience the indwelling of your spirit, we are called into your purpose. But now, Lord, let us, let us take that and bring it into our lives so that we might experience the significance and the meaning of becoming a part of your mission and spreading your love to those that are not yet awakened to your presence. We pray this in your name, amen.